0: Welcome back to Season 2 of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series. As you know, education and awareness of issues affecting the small business community is an important part of the bank's relationship and consulting-oriented approach with its clients. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to review and rate us on all of your popular podcast platforms. And as always, if you have any questions... Comments or suggestions, please email us at insidethevault at enterprisebankpgh.com. Welcome back to Inside the Vault, where we discuss current issues affecting small business clients, which is a primary clientele for our enterprise bank. I'm happy to have back with us again Chuck Lye, President and CEO of the bank here at Enterprise. Uh, Welcome back Chuck and you and I talked almost a year ago um, as we were starting to come out of the worst of the pandemic about what the future held in terms of inflation and economic activity Uh, and at that time you know uh, our leadership was talking about any inflation would be transitory or temporary at that point well now we're a year later and we've obviously seen inflation take a pretty strong hold on the economy. Um, but before we talk about kind of what the dynamics are currently, I thought it might make sense just to give our listeners kind of a, a, a little bit of an education on what drives inflation um, from a supply-demand perspective and what different uh, you know factors play into what the inflation rate is or what the trends are. Obviously, the economy is very
1: complex with a lot of different components to it, but in the simplicity terms, inflation shows itself, prices adjust based upon supply and demand. I mean, the simplest terms are when supply is greater than demand, prices fall. And when the demand is greater than the supply, prices are driven up. And, um, there are, that's the basic premise and then it plays itself out in so many of the different components of the, of the economy. Mm-hmm. You know, a year ago we were discussing and had concerns about inflation being a very serious factor, you know, before the Fed and other people were talking about things or to the extent they were talking about it, they were discussing it as being transitory, but what we were seeing in the banking industry, more cash. Sitting in our institutions, and we'd ever seen in 25 years, the government uh, programs, um, the slowdown of the economy, people moving their savings. There was more money in the financial uh, institutions than we'd ever seen before.
0: And yeah, I, I read some recent recent statistics that the estimates are two and a half trillion dollars in additional savings was generated during the pandemic from government stimulus.
1: Yeah, Normally when you go through a slowdown in business or recession uh, in this case we went through that type of thing because of the government shutting down the businesses because of COVID Um, you see people using their savings to survive and adjusting their lifestyles. Um, That didn't happen here. I mean people were actually building their savings during a period. And uh, that's what caused us to have concern. We were having people having more cash available to spend. Now more time available to spend because they weren't working. Uh, and so all the kind of things were directing that that pushing that the demand was going to go and move. And it did when the doors opened and the stores could open, things started to go really, really strong. And um, at the same time with COVID, we had some supply issues and supply chain issues when factories would shut down or this type of thing or slow down uh, because of labor issues. And keep in mind, it's an, it's an international market. So you've got a lot of this is not just the United States of was what was going on in Asia and those, those countries that are strong exporters into the United States. They were shutting down plants and taking a whole different approach than we were in many cases. And so you had a whole bunch of factors come together to uh, where where they were all driving.
0: So it was both sides of the equation. Demand was going up and supply was going down. down. So
1: you had some strong shocks to the system and I'm not quite sure what the logic was of transitory. Transitory would make sense if you were looking at maybe one of those factors, you know. If you thought COVID was going to be a short period of time, yeah, you know. To me, transitory shows itself, like you'll see us, we go through a a strong uh, strong winter. And when you get a really bad winter where we got lots of storms, people stay inside, they don't buy and so you have numbers are affected unemployment or or the economy drops and you know it's temporary because as soon as they can people get out they're shopping again and they're moving and and there's a a bent up demand that comes out and so you you start to see blips in the system and transitory changes that are temporary you know temporary adjustments but when you have the amount of money that we had pushed out there where people had a lot a lot of money and uh, they had the time and the the ability to spend it you had some pretty strong factors that were saying this isn't just a couple of months till the factories get going again and then the other part of it is COVID had its stage two and stage three and um, that continued to affect supply side to some extent Instead of making a short blip, it became a much longer blip. And again, you put all these factors together and you created one serious problem. And in conjunction with the Fed, it's a different group today than what it was 25 years ago. You know, uh, 25 or 30 years ago, we saw inflation come about in the 70s and really show itself in the 80s. So you people like, say, Alan Greenspan that were the head of the Fed at the time, who grew up with that inflation, who were managing during those inflationary sectors, and you would see him, when he managed, really put the brakes on hard to stop it from kicking in, and then he pushed the accelerator hard, too, right. when he needed to. Um, the group that's been in here since Bernanke came man. You know they haven't lived in a high inflationary period. They haven't managed in a high inflationary mm-hmm. period, and there. I think politics is more involved today than what it was then. Not to say that they're not independent; they are. But there's some influences because they're appointed by politicians and what have you. And so you've got a, a you know, with, with Mrs. Yellen, and you've got Chairman Powell now. They're not as aggressive as an Alan Greenspan, so they're sitting back. And so if you were an Alan Greenspan, he would have have put the brakes on hard and fast in the summer when it started to show itself. They've done nothing for close to a year. And now, you know, they have a much different mindset. Alan Greenspan would hit it hard, put their brakes on hard, didn't necessarily give the markets notice or anything like that there's a different mindset now. They want to give lots of notice, they, don't, they want to be very um, open, people know what they're thinking um, and you couple that with not managing this type of situation or have experience with it, and a concern about giving people warnings, and you get all the different cultural mindset, mm-hmm. well now they don't put the brakes on hard. And before they do put the brakes on hard, they're going to give a lot of notice. And so it's a whole different environment, and that's, that's promoted inflation too because yeah. of the way they've reacted in a, a much different way than the people that learned to deal with it, tamed inflation, and kept it in check when it was really showing itself.
0: Yeah. Yeah, to add some color to what, what you said a few minutes ago, you know, on, the, on the demand side, I found it interesting that you know consumption of consumer goods um, last year... Was actually higher than pre pandemic. Um, so it was almost a self defeating prophecy that when you create that much additional demand, the supply is reduced just based on those two variables. Well, if
1: you remember back in uh, the uh, Obama administration, they were talking people into GDP, 2% yeah. growth was what you should expect. It's the new norm. Then President Trump came in and we changed some dynamics and more business oriented. And, and, and that GDP doubled and so that was kicking in right now so the demand changed a lot because of our, our business policies changing with administration yeah
0: so um, y- you know the the question remains right now is how long do we expect to be in this inflationary period and what needs to happen to remedy it well there are, there are
1: again supply or demand are going to adjust okay the fed can push rates up hard which will make expansion more expensive which will pull down demand Um, if supply reacts the supply chains are adjusted to to fill the demand that also will be a a part of things and each of these different components you know there's there's how many microcosms of that push, whether we're talking energy or food or housing or all, all these things come together, and you've got that supply-demand in each one of these things and different components working it. So the broad adjustments are going to be the
0: Fed putting the brakes on hard. You know, Chuck, one of the things I find really interesting about you know this this current inflation issue and the consumer response is... You know, you and I are in the financial industry every day and these numbers, these inflation numbers are dramatic to us, but it just seems like the American public has not really pushed back or 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 really, um, you know, responded to a lot of this inflation and I think it goes back to what you said that a lot of them have still substantial savings. So they're willing to pay the higher prices. Uh, but at some point that's going to run out. The one thing that I you know, I think everybody's feeling the pinch of, and you hear with everybody you talk to, is this issue with gas prices and energy prices as a whole. And I know that, you know, over the years, um, you've been of the, of the mindset that, that energy prices really kind of drive the economy in a lot of ways. Can you give us a little... More of an kind of understanding of 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 why we're in the energy situation we're in, and and what that might be doing to the economy as a whole. Well, obviously, the energy the energy situation
1: is again another microcosm of supply and demand. And COVID reduced demand dramatically. Supply is what it was 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 there, and so prices dropped dramatically. Now you've got COVID going by the wayside. You've got the uh, petroleum exporting company uh, countries not wanting to see the supply raise a lot, so they put caps on. And so what's happened is demand is now caught up and surpassed the supply, so prices are starting to push back up again. You know, in this country, we shut down a lot of wells, and, and the, the current administration is very anti-carbon, you know energy forms, and so you put all those factors together. They have basically reduced the supply artificially, and the demand is now creeping back up again. And when that happens, prices start to move, and they have been moving dramatically. Um,
0: so it's not just the the. the today's topic in the headlines of the Ukraine-Russian conflict. No,
1: that's that's a part of it. I mean, the Russians were involved with working with the OPEC countries to try to cap supply. Um, But they're they're kind of an immaterial part for our country. Now, it's a global market, so there is an effect there. But, you know, we have the ability in this country to more than generate our own production to overcome what the Russians can do. Mm-hmm. But we choose not to allow it to take place now. Outwardly people say, oh, there's plenty of leases left to go, and, and you can drill if you want to. The truth of the matter is pipelines are shut down, so transportation isn't where it should be. You're not pulling transportation as ineffective, as, as as efficiently as you can from Canada down to, like, Texas if the pipeline mm-hmm. was done. Uh, Now it has to come on rail cars and it's slower. Um, Just the price of fuel when it gets back up is is moved, so it's now profitable to do drilling. Um, And the federal government has cut back on some leasing, some leases that are very good leases. The ones that are left that they're all talking about there's plenty of undrilled leases are not the most profitable ones so it's more expensive to get the price of product has to go higher right. before it this makes, makes sense, sense to drill there I mean all these factors work together the truth of the matter is the administration this administration's pushed pushed it by the side said I don't want the supply I don't want it being used and then that's contributed to the overall increase and um, if they reverse their position in six months, we'd be yeah. we could we could make a huge difference. The American industry can adjust very quickly and, and very fast if people are honest and truthful and really do open up the opportunities to do it. And and all these things have national or an international you know yeah. effects. You know, even in the war, you see it's funny how you see the people critiquing the Germans because they're not as proactive in the NATO group of helping as others, well Germany heats it, heats itself with, with Russian, Russian gas yeah. if the Americans could come in and say, well our pipelines are done, we'll liquefy the gas and shoot it to you, you don't need the Russians they take a whole different outlook on what they're doing it's, 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 you have to look behind the scenes to understand the logic of, of all these things and how they're interrelated to one another
0: I know, Chuck. You, you and I had a discussion in a prior episode of the podcast about, you know, uh, we live in one world globally, and yes, the U.S. has been uh, cutting back on carbon emissions, but the rest of the world, not necessarily. No, has. We,
1: we in the show that we did here was last yeah. summer. We showed a graph that showed how the U.S. has cut back its coal which is the dirtiest of the carbons, right. where we have cut back dramatically. You watch the chart where it went up and then it dropped down. But the world consumption kept going up the, at the same pace and using more and more because China filled in, they used up our savings plus put some more in, which means their cost of energy, which that was the cheapest cost of energy, their cost of energy for all their industry and their production drops while ours gets goes up because the other alternative energy sources are more expensive which means the chinese industry is more competitive and ours is less competitive this is and there's only there's only one air bubble we all live in there's not the chinese bubble and our bubble yeah. where we can be good and they can be bad and they'll suffer we all if they don't agree to cut back it's worthless if you have any common sense Yeah. Um, so all we're doing is allowing them to take over more of the world's manufacturing and grow while we don't because we're quote setting the good setting the good example.
0: What what I'll be interested to see is, you know, we're coming in, yeah, everybody automatically sees it at the pump, right? The price of gas. But now we're coming into the busy travel times of the year. Um, interested to see is consumer behavior and travel behavior are gonna change. And now you're finally seeing you know that we've had this uh, these high gas prices for long enough now they're starting to show up the ripple effects are showing up in airfare and and anything that you know shipping costs.
1: Fuel costs are a big part of airfare. Yeah. And you've missed the concept of housing. Look at what housing has done. Pittsburgh's a conservative market. It doesn't usually have big bubbles and our prices have gone up like 20%. You look at places in the country areas of the country and they're doubling it over a year and, that, and all of a sudden houses young people they can't afford to have a house and you know so there's an effect there and that and that causes people you know if, if all of a sudden you have an extra three hundred dollars a month uh, gas bill that's three hundred less that you have for a mortgage and the savings you know the government subsidies have slowed down and pretty much, and interest off. rates are starting. Interest up. rates are going up, and the savings have been starting to be depleted again. You put all these things of, together, and you're going to start to see energy costs be a negative pool on the economy, and, and pull it down, and uh, that will tame inflation to some extent too. And that's where the Fed's going to have to monitor very closely how the one affects the other, so they don't do too much or too little. Right they've obviously done too little the last year now what they have to be careful of is with energy costs if they stay this high and somebody doesn't bring it back down then then they got to be careful how much of a slowdown they put into the system right um, yeah, all those things have effect and, and I think there's a delay in recognition as you're saying because both we had a lot of savings but more so the prices the wages that people are making because of the shortage of labor again supply is down demand is up so the cost of labor has moved and labor did move up a lot and so people had more disposable income than they had before yeah. and, and well so where prices are down and their wages went out they had a lot of more disposable income well now these are raising back up and then right. there's not the imbalance there and now all of a sudden Ooh, I don't have this extra money at the end of the month like I had before.
0: And and, and even, that affects us. Yeah, and even in the business supply chain side, you know, we've actually seen some of the commodities prices start to stabilize and in some cases come back down a little bit. But now you've got the logistics costs to get the, the actual goods because of, of, of fuel and energy prices. So, you know this supply chain issue i don't see it necessarily fixing itself right away either
1: yeah and 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 this isn't transitory you know things like when we talked about lumber you know lumber can be transit you can have like a huge hurricane and a big area needs to be rebuilt and all of a sudden all the lumber shoots there, prices move up but it's temporary uh these wages and the, and the roll, when it starts to roll, yeah, costs go up, go up, then wages go up, then wages <laughs> go up, then costs go up, and it rolls. That's not easy to stop. That's not transitory. That's a cultural change in the way people are thinking. And ultimately, productivity and efficiency is what makes the value, not just raise price. Because you just raise price with no productivity increase, well, then costs will go up accordingly, and they'll just keep going like this. And that's that's inflation. That that's why the Fed's going got to slow, slow
0: things down. So, Chuck, we've talked about kind of inflation in general and, and the impact that the, that the energy sector has on that. You know, with our clients and our audience being mostly small businesses, you know, I'm interested in your take on, you know, how do they, they really find out what's really going on uh, in, in the economy? Um, and how do they make sense of it well I think if you look at
1: our discussion in the last 20 minutes um, a small business person has to start to do their own analysis as to supply and demand and think through this to anticipate what's going to happen in the future what really makes it challenging in today's world is is leadership and leadership will say something and then act differently Uh, for instance when it comes to energy costs now obviously people are going to be upset the longer energy costs are this high the more they are going to be upset and that's going to equate to votes and things like that so you you look at what's the president saying the president says I'm going to reduce rates by ensure costs by opening up the strategic oil reserves and 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 promote drilling. Well, first of all, the strategic oil reserves is like me saying, here's I'm going to give you a glass of water, now fill my backyard pool with it. And by the way, the strategic strategic oil reserves represent one cup of water. (laughs) So it's it's almost like a stupid thing to say. It's so there's such little effect between the supply and demand that it's, it says one thing, but does it really mean something different? Right. I mean, this administration has said, I don't want this carbon source to be used and relied upon. Well, in the short term, you're going to have to if the supply is going to come up. So are you or aren't you? Which one? Mm-hmm. You can't have it both ways. And so when you're trying to make a decision as to what's happening in the future, it's almost like you have to guess because what they say and what they do are right. two different things. And that, that lack of transparency, that lack of trust in what people say uh, makes it very hard to work with things because you will, you will routinely see people say something they want to hear, want you to think a certain way by giving you part of the facts but not the other facts. You didn't hear the president say, I'm opening up the pipelines. I'm pushing out the federal leases that are really lucrative so somebody can drill at, at the price now and really make a difference. There are things he could do that really would send a message. What he's done is sent a message with those that are knowledgeable in the industry know it meant very little. The thing that's going to drive this is the price. Yeah. If the price is high enough... These detriments can be overcome and you can still make money and then people will kick in and do it. And so you're trying to guess at how much are they going to be restrictive or not. We're in in a lending environment and you know how much the regulatory environment affects what goes on. Think of what happened in the COVID situation. The regulators came to the banks when COVID first hit and said we are not going to force you to not recognize income and or have special reserves if you help your people by going interest only or letting them defer some payments till the end of the loan and all the banks did it and you saw almost no failures occur during that period of time that's never happened that i can recall in my lifetime normally when somebody gets under stress and they can't make a payment in a certain period of time you stop recognizing income and you're almost forced to go into foreclosure. Mode. Well, because the government pressure came in and said, don't do that. We want to help this time. It made a difference. Now that restriction has gone today. Or that help is yeah, gone right. today. Now they're saying we're back to the old rules again. Mm-hmm. So now banks are going to be more restrictive. Well, you're trying to anticipate, and you know what a huge difference that made. We would have had... 25 percent of the businesses in foreclosure had they not done that, and we would yeah. turn the whole world upside down. Look how important a tool that is. That's how important government can be with regard to adjusting to inflation, making the right decisions. And the problem here is, is people aren't honest about what they're doing. And I get it. You know, if you're the president and you've got the environmentalists saying don't do it, and you've got other people saying do it. You're trying to walk a fine line. The problem I have is instead of being honest and saying, right now, this is more important than this, and this is what we're going to do, they don't say that. Right. They try to say what both sides want to hear, and in the process, you're misrepresenting the truth because it can't be both ways. That mindset in leadership, and it's not a Democrat Republican, it's across the board, that makes it very hard to anticipate
0: and we're getting deluged with it right now. I mean, we're coming up on midterm elections and state governors' oh races. And, you know, we're getting a spin every time you turn TV or radio on.
1: Well, sure. I mean, it's <laughs> like you, you hear Joe Biden spent some years here as a young child before his family moved out of state. But in the ads, he calls himself a Pennsylvania, but he hasn't lived in Pennsylvania in <laughs> 50 years okay you've got two republican candidates who are running for the u.s senate in pennsylvania dr oz lives in new jersey well conservative people don't typically get elected in new jersey so what do you do you run to pennsylvania so you're representing pennsylvanians when you really never lived here and his biggest opponent grew up in pennsylvania and i believe was a resident of of Connecticut, and now he's come back to run because we all know Connecticut's not electing a conservative senator. So if you want to be senator, come to Pennsylvania. Yeah. Well,
0: whose yeah. best interest do they have at heart? Yeah, do you
1: are you representing the Pennsylvanians or or, or New Jerseyans or whatever? Because that's yourself. where you really lived. Or yourself, you're not representing. I should not even live here, <laughs> and yet you don't say that. Again, people. And I'm not saying these are bad people. They're not bad people. It's just they're not completely honest with everybody out there. Does anybody publish that they really haven't lived their life in Pennsylvania? Hmm. How do you think the Pennsylvania voters are going to feel about that? This is not... there's The honesty and the integrity that should be in leadership is clearly not there. So in the small business world, when you're trying to anticipate things, you know, if somebody said something pro or con to your position and they stood behind it, well, then you can anticipate what's going to happen. But when people try to make everybody happy and misrepresent the truth at the same time, to everybody, everybody, (laughs) it makes it extremely hard to predict what's going to happen. So honestly, in this situation, I don't see energy adjusting because I don't, they're not doing anything to help uh, the supply. Well, now you have the price, when it's up yeah. over $100, supply is going to start to crank
0: up. Yeah, and now and, you have the noise of this Eastern European conflict that's just yeah. more of a scapegoat for them on the energy. Sure.
1: Have that had very little it. to do with what's going on in the price of energy. It had more to do with people coming back uh, from COVID and and starting to spend and and, and the activity levels kicking up on a worldwide basis. But again, that's a factor too. If you get another round of COVID that slows it down dramatically, that's a factor that has to be considered. It'll change the supply-demand ratio and relationship. That's why there is no... White and black and look and set formula. That's what makes it very hard for the Fed and other people uh, to make a specific uh, uh, plan to work it out. And you couple that with the administration's not really saying what's really going on, and it just makes it a very hard uh, set of dynamics to to predict where you're going to be right now. I don't see a whole lot of things changing. I see the Fed going to have to push up rates. Uh, I see energy prices going to start to drop down as supply kicks in because of how high the price is. And those two dynamics are going to... Um, you know, I don't know that they're going to pull inflation back a whole lot, but they're not going to let it Well, and as we talked before, some of
0: this... Some of this um, this banked money uh, these, the savings is going to eventually be depleted too
1: Well, there are, there are so many factors to look at even your immigration policy we can't get people to build houses we need houses that's why the cost of housing is going up so high because there's, there's not enough supply the demand out, outweighs it well if you can't build it then the supply is not fixed and if you tie down immigration that people can't come in and work then it doesn't help the situation. And there's, each one of these is a microcosm in the big picture and they all have different amounts of degrees of affecting the big picture. Um, honestly, a small business person it's very hard for them to anticipate what's going to go on They're living what they see and touch. They know what their wage pressures are and they know how hard it is to find somebody and they know how much they can raise their prices and they'll keep pushing and pulling to try to keep a balance to survive
0: Um, one thing we know interesting times
1: (laughs) very challenging
0: times, and uh, we will try to provide as much feedback and uh, as information on where things are going honestly that's what makes
1: banking one of the most wonderful businesses that you can have you know for me you know years ago when I was a chairman of the Bankers Association everybody was upset about some challenging times and to me i look at this and say this is where we get to shine this is where our small business people need help and this is what we provide we are here to fix those issues and be this the backbone of helping them get through these challenging times and and it's fun when you get to see somebody's business be saved because i can come in and help you and then you see all those Uh, jobs protected and people taking care of their families because we're there, that's what makes what we do
0: so worthwhile. It sure does. And thanks again, Chuck, for the insight and input, and I'm sure we'll be talking again here in the future as things shake out. But for those of you that um, have any questions uh, or comments regarding Inside the Vault, uh, you can email us at Vault at enterprisebankpgh.com. Or you can check us out on all the major podcast platforms as well as video on YouTube. Thank you for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed today's episode of Inside the Vault. As always, please be sure to review and rate us on all the popular podcast platforms. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email us at insidethevault at pgh. Dot .com Thank you